Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Because of the resurrection, we have a message to share. And not only are we called to share that message in word, but also in behavior. We're going to see that in our final lesson of this book of Matthew, that Yeshua, that is Jesus of Nazareth, he is going to command us that we observe. That means that we keep his word. So yes, it's important that we have faith, that we believe what he says in our hearts. But if we truly believe that, that faith is going to document itself. It's going to manifest itself in observance to his words. We need to remember what we learn in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, that what is pleasing to God is not just sacrifice and offering, but obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Matthew and chapter 28. Now, we began this chapter last week, and now, God willing, in this, our final installment in the book of Matthew, we're going to conclude this final chapter. A chapter that continues the theme of the resurrection, the fact that God the Father has raised Yeshua, his only begotten son, from the dead. That message changes everything. And we're going to see that this message of the resurrection is one that we are called to proclaim. And as I said, that that message should change our behavior. It impacts everything we say, how we think, the decisions we make, and what we do. Now, we left off with Yeshua speaking to the women. And he told the women that they should go into the city and that they should share that they witness him alive, having been raised from the dead. And again, that fact changes everything. Well, let's begin. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 11. As they were going, these women, behold certain ones of the guard. Now, that guard was a Roman guard. You will recall that the, the leaders of Israel, the elders, the high priests and such, those from the Sanhedrin, they were concerned about something. You know, they were listening very attentively to Yeshua that he says that it was Passover, that he's going to go up to Jerusalem, that he is going to be betrayed, they were part of that, that he is going to be put to death, but on the third day he would rise from the dead. They were thinking about this promised resurrection, and therefore they wanted to secure the tomb 
so that nothing could happen that would allow his disciples to say that he had been raised from the dead. And they wanted, they, they went to Pontius Pilate and asked that a guard be secured there at the tomb. And he agreed it, and they went and carried it out. They sent the guard, the Roman guard, under their authority to do just that. And we read here, as the women were going to the city, we find that, behold, certain ones of the guard, they had gone into the city as well in order to proclaim to the high priests. So they went and they proclaimed to the high priest all the things that had happened. They were giving a report. Now, we know something. Those high priests, they didn't like that report. It was going to undermine everything that they were trying to achieve. They weren't interested in the power of God. They weren't interested in the resurrection. In fact, they wanted to conceal the resurrection and learn something that I've spoken about many, many times, and that's this. In the scripture, whenever the resurrection is alluded to, whether it's in a hint or in a very strong fashion as now, this is what we're speaking about, the resurrection. There is that inherent relationship, that close connection between resurrection and the kingdom. And this attests to the fact that the leadership, because they were trying to conceal with deceit the fact, and I want to emphasize that, the fact that he had been raised from the dead, the fact that they wanted to conceal that shows they were not kingdom-minded. When you're kingdom-minded, you are going to want to obey God. When you're worldly-minded, the scripture says, in fact, John, in his first epistle, he tells us that when we are a friend of the world, well, we are not going to be walking in the love of God. We're not going to be doing the will of God and demonstrating the character of God. So this guard, they went into the city and they reported to the chief priest all the things. What happened? Now look at verse 12. And they were gathered, meaning the high priests, they were gathered with the elders and taking counsel. And that means taking counsel together. They arrived, in other words, at a decision, a decision that's based upon falsehood based upon a lie this was their decision that they reached that much silver now in hebrew and i realize this is greek but it has a, a hebrew context of scripture it says much silver now in israel today and i'm standing in israel as i shared this message with you and if you want to say the word money in hebrew today it's the Hebrew word kesef, which literally is silver. And the same thing is being done here in the Greek language. They take the Greek word for silver, but it has the, the meaning of money. So much silver, much money was given to the soldiers, saying, and this is what they wanted to happen, this conspiracy, 
this, this council that they had reached an agreement on was this, that give these soldiers much money, but on the condition that they would say, literally it says, you say that his disciples by night came and stole him as we, meaning the guards, were sleeping. Now, now something really is not too good with this plan because a Roman guard, now all soldiers, obviously, doesn't matter if they're Roman or Greek or whatever, soldiers aren't supposed to sleep when they're on post, when they're on duty. But here's the difference. Today, if a soldier, for example, is caught sleeping, they'll get in trouble they might be, be put into the barricade, meaning put into prison temporarily for a few days or a week. They might lose some, some income. They might be punished in some way. But the Romans, what did they do? If a Roman soldier was caught sleeping on duty at their posts, it was the death sentence. So to say this, you can see why they were paid this great sum of money. So the leadership of Israel said, you say that his disciples by night came and stole him while we were sleeping. Verse 14, and if this is heard by the governor, now the governor would be the one that could give the death sentence. So the leadership is saying, and if this is heard by the governor, we will persuade him and you. It says, you being troubled, will take care of. Meaning any harm, anything that might be bothering you about obeying this, we are going to deal with. We are going to take care of. We can persuade the governor that no harm comes to you. And therefore, now look at verse 15. And they, having taken the silver, literally the money, they did as they were instructed. And this word, and it means to go forth, to go throughout, to be published widely, to be something that was known thoroughly. So this word was known thoroughly, it says, among the Jewish people even until this day, meaning the day that Matthew wrote down these words. So we're talking about a period of time, of probably at least 20 years after the fact, and this was still what the Jewish community was believing. And this shows something that is consistently a problem, and that is this. It's not that the leadership of Israel didn't know the truth, they concealed the truth. They were deceiving. And the same thing, and I say this with all sincerity, with, with knowing the truth of the matter, many of the leaders of Israel from a spiritual standpoint, they know what the prophets say. They know about a suffering Messiah, but they never want that to be revealed to the people in general. They are concealing and why are they concealing? Very simple. Nothing's changed. These leaders going back 2,000 years ago, they were concerned about their position. They were concerned about 
what they had built up. They wanted to hold on to that. And therefore, it was more important their position in the world rather than the truth of God. So let me ask you a similar question. What is more important to you? The things of this world? Perhaps some position that you have, something that you possess, or the truth of God? As we move closer to the last days, and I believe we are moving rapidly toward those last days, you will be challenged more and more and more about who truly is the Lord of your life, the Lord of the kingdom or the Lord of this world. You are going to be challenged what decisions are you going to make? Are you going to be found faithful? Are you going to be implementing the truth of God or are you going to be part of a conspiracy to conceal the truth concerning Messiah? What he did and what he's coming back to do and what he said would be going on in this world before he returned. So they took the money and they did as they were instructed and this false report became widely known among the Jewish people even to this day. Now let's look at verse 16. With verse 16, there's a change in this passage because now Yeshua is going to come to, to front and center. He's going to begin to speak and speak to his disciples personally. We know that he had said earlier on when he was talking about his death, burial, and resurrection that he would go before the disciples into the Galilee. And now we know that, that once more he told the women to tell his brethren, his disciples, that he is alive and that he'll go before them to that place that he had designated in the Galilee. And what we're going to see in these last few verses that's all so very significant for us today. Let's move on. Verse 11. And the 11 disciples. Now remember, Judas had committed suicide. So there's no longer 12. There will be one added shortly. But right now, there's only 11. And they went into the Galilee. Now, I like to pay attention to grammar. And one of the things that has been standing out, and we haven't always made reference to that in, in this lesson, but let me say that many of the verbs and participles, they appear in the passive voice, meaning this is the causative. These individuals, they went. Why did they go? They were caused to go because of this proclamation they heard from the women. Go into the Galilee to the place that has been designated. And, and there you will see him. So this is why when it says in verse 11 that the 11 or verse 16, that the 11 disciples, they were going, it was that they were being caused to go by this proclamation into where? The Galilee. Now that phrase, the Galilee, and I've shared this with you before, it speaks about the term Galilee revealing something revealing to substantiate to to cause something to be revealed that is now known and embraced and this is his purpose so they went into the galilee to and notice this next word the mountain 
the mountain that Yeshua had appointed, that he had designated. Now, what's important about this? The term mountain. In the Bible, mountain oftentimes relates to a seat of government, a rule, an administration, a government or an empire. And Yeshua is telling them, you go to the mountain. Why the mountain? Well, a government has authority. And we're going to see that the concept of authority is going to become very important in the last few verses. Notice what it says here. Verse, verse 16. To the mountain that he had appointed, that he had designated to them. And this is Yeshua, verse 17. And seeing him, what did they do? They worshiped him. Now, this is so very important, the fact that they worshiped him. Unfortunately today, there are those who will say, yes, I believe that Yeshua, and of course we're speaking about Jesus of Nazareth, that he is the Messiah, meaning the Christ, that he's the Son of God, but they really don't know what this term, Son of God, implies. The term, the only begotten Son of God, implies his divinity. That he is not just mere man, he is fully man, but he is always fully God. Yeshua is eternal. That means there was never a time he did not exist. He always was, is, and will be. And he is always in the past, now, in the future, divine. He is God. But for those 33 years, we're speaking about now the incarnation, that, that the Son of God, fully divine, he also took on human flesh, being fully man, but never ceased being fully God. And it's important that we understand who he is. Now, why do I say that? Well, notice what it says in this passage of Scripture. Look at verse 17. And seeing him, they worship him. It is appropriate. It is right. It is out of spiritual obedience to the word of God, all Scripture, that we worship Yeshua, that we worship Messiah. And if anyone struggles with that, if someone says, I don't believe that it's appropriate to worship him, that person is not saved. That person is not a disciple. Hear this carefully. It is a requirement for salvation to know who the Savior is, not just by name, Yeshua or Jesus or Jesus, depending upon your language, but also to know his identity, that he is the Son of God, the divine, the only divine Son of God and that's why it says and seeing him they worshiped him but look at the end of verse 17 where it says but there were ones and your Bible probably says doubting and that's fine but let's speak a few minutes about this word that concludes verse 17 they were worshiping but there were still those who were doubting what is this word the word is distezo. And what it means is this. It comes from two words. And we can understand it. And to do further research, 
You can go to Strong's Concordance, number 1,365. This word only appears in one other place. It appears here in Matthew 28 and also in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 31. But what it means is this. The, the, the thought is to and standing. Standing at a crossroad. Coming to a place where you have to make a decision. Do I go to the right or do I go to the left? And as you are pondering, that's what this word is. See, they knew, it wasn't hard to understand, that, that Yeshua is fully man. They, they witness him as doing all the things that a human being would do. Eating, sleeping, and such. And also dying on that cross. Having been flogged, having bled, having suffered. They saw his humanity. But now they were confronted in a very real way with his divinity and some of them were struggling they were at that crossroad is he fully god and they were pondering that and that's what the scripture reveals to us here let's move on to verse 18 and yeshua he came meaning he came before he spoke to them saying and notice the last part of verse 18 now I want to translate this very literally in the right word order because in the Greek language word order can emphasize things this is literally what it says has been given to me Yeshua is speaking to the disciples he comes before them he speaks thusly having been given to me all authority in heaven and on earth now, I'm one that always likes to find a Old Testament scripture that supports New, script, New Testament revelation. Now, does there, does there have to be one? No, many times there may not be, but if there is, it can shed great, great light upon that passage. And when I look at that, that statement that Yeshua, make, that Yeshua makes, has been given to me all authority in heaven and on earth. What comes into my mind is Daniel chapter 7, beginning with verses 13 and 14. There, there's a wonderful prophetic passage concerning Messiah. There it speaks about him, the one known as the Son of, of God going before the ancient of days who's the ancient of days god and it says all power authority worship everything the father gives the son and this is what we see being related to here where he says to me has been given all authority in heaven and earth therefore based upon his authority Notice what he commands us to do. And there's an emphasis here on commanding. He has what? All authority. On earth and in heaven. He is taking the, the position that God the Father held. And what is this? It's simply a transfer. Daniel's message speaks to this. Where the Son 
And this is what his son does. A son, at a certain time, he takes over his father's work. And this glorifies his father to see his son carefully and, and obediently carrying out the purpose, the plans of his father. This is what he's saying. And as he is taking the leadership, as has been given to him the name above all names, that at his name, the Lord Yeshua, every tongue will confess, every knee shall bow to the glory of God the Father, that he is Lord. And therefore, we read this instruction. He has this authority, and he says, go. Now, this word go is in the passive. It's a participle. It means while you're going, but the going is being caused. What's causing it? His instruction, his command to us, where he says, therefore go, and you make disciples of all nations. The gospel is for all people, not just the Jewish community, but for all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You know what's important? We just see the word name, not names, but name. Speaking of one God, and that one God is in no way a hindrance to believing in the three persons of the Trinity, just like we saw here. Baptizing them in the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them, and I like this next part, teaching them to keep. That's literally what it says. To keep, many will say observe, that's fine, but it's a word to keep all which I've commanded you. Now, you know what's emphasized here? The concept of command. What he has commanded, his commandments, that we command others to keep them, that is to do them, to observe them. And notice there's a great promise. We don't have to worry about the enemy. We don't have to worry about the opposition. Why? Notice what he says. And behold, I with you am. Now, we would say, behold, I am with you. But he says it a little bit differently. Behold, I with you am. The thing that we see here is that there's a close relationship between him saying, I with you. Then it says, I am with you. Wonderful promise of the fact that he is going to never leave us nor forsake us. We can depend upon him. He says, behold, I with you am all the days, meaning every day, until when? Until the end of the age. And this word for end is a word that he used in Matthew 24. It talks about when everything comes together, everything happens to bring about a end, and here's the key, a new beginning. He says, I'm with you always, even until the end of this age. And then it ends with the phrase, and some Bibles leave this out, unfortunately. It's word, amen, which is a term which means you believe it. Well, my hope is this, that you believe that great commission that we concluded with, and that you believe all the things in the book of Matthew that we have spent a year and a half studying that you might be fully equipped to serve the living God.
Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Shalom from Israel.